Father, we celebrate you. We celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you, Holy Spirit. We celebrate you, God, because you loved us so much that you sent your son. We celebrate you, Jesus, because you willingly came and, and lived a perfect life in our place so we might be credited with all your righteousness, that then you died a perfect death so we might have all of our unrighteousness removed. Holy Spirit, we, oh Lord, we worship you because you made us alive, enabled dead people to respond to you. God, thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's all of grace. You've made us alive. You've triumphed over death, and in you, we triumph over death. God, I pray that you would make that truth alive in our hearts, that we would live differently today in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for being here with us. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, and I want to add Aaron's welcome, add to Aaron's welcome my own, and say thanks for being here. Uh, one of our goals, as he mentioned, is to regularly be in God's Word. We've had four goals we're kind of focusing on for this year, and, and one of those is for every member of the church. Now, that, that applies to people who are visiting, too. We'd love you to, to join with us to regularly be in God's Word, because that's how um, we are transformed. And so uh, I want to share a, a testimony with you of of just normative Christian life. So um, I'm going to welcome Rodney Lopez. If you'll come and I'll grab the mic here for you um, and just share testimony of how being in God's Word regularly is affecting you. So, um, I, I wanted to comment about the Word of God in the Bible study we have been having on Sunday afternoons. Um, we recently learned the concept of being a child of God through his adoption of us. And according to Galatians chapter 4, we are heirs. We are redeemed and adopted according to Galatians chapter 4 verse 5. And that makes us sons and daughters and heirs through God. And I was wondering while we were studying it what adoption meant. And as I was thinking about it, um, two of our brothers and sisters who are in the group, um, presented a vivid picture. One of them is someone who was adopted, and then um, that person spoke about the experience of being adopted. The other person is someone who has adopted, and that person spoke about it from the perspective of having adopted someone. And it made me reflect greatly for the next few days about adoption and what it means to me. And I concluded that I am not worthy of God's mercy to begin with. I deserve his holy wrath for my sins. However, in his grace, the Lord has adopted all who believe to be his children, as John 1.12 says. But to all who, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I would like to join you all who are children of God today, to thank the Lord for adopting us to be his children. And I would like to say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your forgiveness, and your grace. Amen. Rodney, stay up here for just for a minute. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I didn't tell you about. So, um, so tell me about your, what are your regular habits or patterns of being God's word look like? What do they look like lately? Um, what are the challenges you've had? So what, what do they look like? like? We talked on the phone a little bit. So tell me yes. about what does it look like for you regularly? So my struggle is to wake up early enough to do it, <laughs> slowly enough. 
So what I normally do is I start the day with the verse of the, the, verse of the day, and um, I focus on a single verse early on, and I normally share it. So I send it around to, to a few people, hoping that that starts some conversations, and that, that's my, my regular routine. However, the, the Bible study we've been having in the book of Galatians has allowed me to focus on a single book for a while, and, and that has been a blessing too, as, as you see in this reflection about adoption. That's great. Excellent. Thank you. So um, I just wanted to say that uh, Rodney was sharing with me that, that he struggles to get up. Anybody here struggle to get up, by the way, in the mornings? Um, so don't have these expectations that you're necessarily going to have. And you can sit down now, Rodney. I'm not going to annoy you anymore. So um, it, we, we can have all kinds of expectations. And some people, they are morning people and they wake up. Who, who is like that? Who's, who loves the mornings? Who just wakes up? Excellent. We've got like 10% of the church. So if... <laughs> If that's you, wonderful. Um, there is a Bible reading plan that many of us are going through in the church, all kinds of things. But, but don't have an expectation that um, you're going to naturally be drawn. But what we need to do is say, hey, let's develop some kind of regular pattern, regular habit of being in God's Word. And that is going to have a profound effect on us. And then share God's Word with other people. As he, as he shared, he, that's what he does. He's, he's like, I got this verse. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to tell somebody else what I think about that verse. And, and so that it's a means, actually, of, of God using it to implant His Word and grow His Word in our own hearts. And it profoundly affects the way we think, the way we feel, and then the way we act as well. And um, you might not notice it, just like when you are eating a bad diet, um, you might not notice that after a while it has some negative effects on your body. Um, if you're not eating God's word, you're going to go hungry. It's going to have negative effects on your spiritual person. We might not notice right away that, hey, God's word, it's, it's having a transformative effect. That's what's happening subtly, slowly. God's using it to transform us day by day. You might not have a, a wonderful meal that morning. You might not be like, whoa, that was awesome. But you know what is still happening is God's word is still transforming and changing us, making us new day by day. Amen. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be continuing in our study in the book of Corinthians, or the letter to the Corinthians. This is the letter that the Apostle Paul has, has written to the church that he started and he spent 18 months at, and, and they've, they've developed some really bad habits and patterns, and they've become a proud church. And so up until now, Paul has actually been giving them the grounds of who they are in Christ and telling them all about that. Now Paul comes down. So that's what we're going to hear. We're going to, we're going to hear that after Paul has laid the groundwork of who they are in Christ. Now he's going to explain where they're not like Christ. And so let's read God's word together. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you become rich. Without us you become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. 
because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You were held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is powerful. It is living. Lord, I pray that your word would, would reveal, would reveal our thinking about ourselves. It would reveal where we are, Lord. And I pray that your word would reveal hope in you. God, I pray that you would, by your grace, enable me to preach through your Holy Spirit's enabling. And I pray that you would enable each and every person here not to tune out, not to check out, not to be offended, Lord, but to receive from your Holy Spirit what you would have for us. All this is possible because you have enabled us who are alive in you to, to receive and to hear and understand your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, by the way, thank you for all of you who put together the chairs again um, yesterday morning. We had the carpets clean last week, so thanks for everybody who came in. Um, a funny story about that is a couple weeks ago, or three weeks ago, I think, when we were originally trying to finalize who was going to clean the carpets, and uh, one of the guys was coming to give a, an estimate of how, you know, how much it would cost, and they cleaned all the chairs, and how much it would cost per chair, and all that kind of stuff, and so... I, I realized, oh, oh, no, I've got to go meet this guy. And so I was wearing a T-shirt. I work from home. My office is at home. I don't have offices here. And so I realized I need to change. And so I put on a nice wicking polo, a black polo that looked kind of you know, respectable, that you know, I'm a pastor, I'm meeting a guy. I, I need to look like that. And so I came, I met with him. And as he left, he made an odd comment. And he said, he goes, wow, you, you look like you're dressed for the golf course. And I was like, Okay, bye. bye. <laughs> it was weird because he was like going to his truck. He kind of turned and threw the coming back. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. Um, that was odd. So I came home and, and it came in the door and said hello to my wife. And my shirt was on inside out. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean just like the collar was backwards. No, the entire shirt, my wicking shirt was inside out. And somehow I had managed to flip the collar around the right way. And I remember riding there thinking, oh, my collar is weird. So I fixed my collar, apparently. My buttons were inside out, and you know, the, the, it, <laughs> I'm just surprised he didn't make another comment about me. Instead, he just made that weird comment about being dressed for golf. I, I thought I looked nice, but I needed somebody who loved me to tell me that I was dressed all backwards, inside out, that I got it all wrong. The Corinthians, they, they, thought they looked good. They thought they were good on the outside because they had all these spiritual gifts they were displaying and they, they thought that that equaled maturity. They thought that because they were doing well and they were healthy and wealthy and wise and prosperous and all these other things and they thought that since, since the world regarded them well, that they were doing good. And so what they needed was the Apostle Paul to tell them, hey, wait a minute, look, I just want to show you. You're, you're, you're my brothers, you're my sisters. I want to tell you something. Your, your entire perspective is backwards. 
you got it all wrong. He's not telling them that because he doesn't like them. He's telling them that because he loves the church and they have, they have a backwards view that they've put on. They put on this backwards view of the Christian life and it's led to some seriously bad consequences in their life. The Corinthians, they weren't unusual Christians in a sense. They lived in Corinth in a place that was, that was very affluent, that was focused on position, on influence, on wealth, on power, on looks. The Corinthians, though, they've been saved by the grace of God. They were genuine believers. We know that because Paul says that God is going to commend them. He only commends those who are in Christ Jesus. They've been gifted by God in so many ways, and, but they had thought that, hey, having a spiritual gift means that we're more mature, we're more wise, we're superior to other people. And they had begun to look at each other with that air of superiority. There's all kinds of factions had developed in the church. And they had actually looked at Paul and said, we don't really like him so much because he's weak. He doesn't look like the world's idea of success. You know, if, if we're supposed to be overcomers and conquerors, Paul is not doing any of that. They bought the lie of the culture around them that believing him a measure of a person was based on their gifting or influence or power or wealth. And it's easy for us to bind that lie too, isn't it? Isn't that the culture that, that's all around us? Isn't that the air we breathe? They bought the ideas of the world and thought that wisdom was meant to be applied in the church. And Paul says, let me, let, me, let me help you out here. And so Paul takes them aside. That's what he's doing now. He's, he's encouraged them who they are. They need to see who they are. They need to see that. And then Paul says, now you're ready. Now you're ready to see the truth. And so Paul has hung up this mirror in the church in Corinth in the form of this letter. He's hung up this mirror for them so that they can see themselves for who they are. And he's come alongside them as a, as a fellow brother. And he says, brothers or brethren, which refers to brothers and sisters, does not just apply to men. Although, ladies, I'm sure that you would like that, right? You know, it's just only the guys are arrogant here. But he's not. He's, he's coming alongside both. He says, brethren, and he, he brings them alongside and he's kind of putting his arm around them and he says, let me show you something. And he wants them to see, to behold in the mirror of, his, of God's word who they are. He wants to see the reality of who they are and then compare it to how Paul has applied the gospel to his life, how Paul has put on gospel clothes, if you were, and so Paul says, I've applied these things. Looking in your Bible, he says, I've applied these things. What things he's referring to? Oh, everything he's written prior. I've applied these things. I've just instructed you about who you are in Christ. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. What's he talking about? He's applying the, the truths of the gospel. That's what he says earlier. I've, I, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And now Paul is saying, and all throughout the first chapters of Corinthians, he's saying, I'm applying these truths. And here's what this truth looks like applied to your life. And so now he tells them, applying these things for your benefit, because he wants them to see this, this main idea that we need to see, that applying the gospel to your life is for your benefit. And so he starts off with that. I'm, I, these things have been applied for your benefit. Now look. In verse 6, he says that you might learn by us, by our example, by, by how Paul and Apollos are seeking to apply this good news, all the things he's spoken about in the, in the letter to the Corinthians so far. He says, so you won't go beyond what is written so that you won't live as if you are more than what God says about you or, or less, in a sense. And then look at his point. He says that none of you, the big idea that runs throughout it too, that none of you might be puffed up puffed up in favor of one against another. That's this kind of puffing up that's, this idea of inflating something. 
being full of hot air. They're full of themselves. And so the first point that, that Paul is, is driving home to them, that through his own example, his own application, he's, he's trying to show them that applying, applying the gospel allows him and enables him to live humbly. And so he asks them some really pointed questions because he wants them to see that applying the gospel is the only means by which we're enabled to live humbly. He says, I'm writing these things so that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. This is, this is his family. This is the church he started. These are dearly beloved brethren. He's not writing to be mean, but, but he comes across here pretty strongly. He says, I applied these things to myself. I've applied these things and said that we are, we are under rowers, as we saw last week. We are, we are like the person in the bottom of the boat who's rowing at the commands of Christ, listening for his commands and only rowing when the master says. And we're like stewards. We're people who are stewarding a mystery. That's our entire job is to steward the mystery, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're stewards, and that's what our whole life is defined by. That's, that's who we're living for. And, and so Paul's describing himself that way. He described himself earlier as, he says, we're, we're like farmers in God's field. We're, we're builders in his kingdom. And he says, in Christ, everything belongs to you because you belong to Christ. And so what he's explaining to them is that their identity is found not in the things of the world, not in the wisdom of the world, but their identity is to be found in Jesus Christ and him alone. He says, I've applied these things so that you can see that. They lost sight of their calling as servants of, at the direction of Jesus Christ. They lost sight of their primary commission as stewards of the mysteries of God's grace. And so as we're reading these words, we have to ask ourselves, how about us? How about us? How do we see ourselves? Are we applying these things to ourselves? You know, we're, we're only four chapters in, but you know what can happen when you're going through a, a letter or a book like this is that you can forget to apply what you hear and we can be like somebody who looks in a mirror and goes away and forgets what they look like. So Paul's, he's hanging a mirror up. And he's saying, I want you to see, I've applied it to myself so that you might benefit. What does he mean? So that you might apply it. Are you applying this? Are you seeing who you are in Jesus Christ? Are you seeing and defining yourself as an under rower? Are you defining yourself as a steward of the mysteries of the gospel? Is that what drives your life? Is that how you divine whether or not you're a faithful servant? My problem a few weeks ago when I went to meet the carpet guy is I, I didn't look in the mirror. Um, sometimes if we're in a dark room, it's hard to see clearly in a mirror. If anybody have ever been to a hotel, I don't think they do this anymore. The last hotel I went to didn't have it, but in a hotel where they have these, these mirrors on, um, attached to the wall or to the counter, and it has this really bright ring around it, and you can flip from one side to the other, and then there's the scary side. <laughs> when you click the light on on the scary side, and you're like, oh my goodness, I never want to see that again. Because it shows you things that are ugly. You know, we can only do superficial changes to our bodies, to our face. Paul's showing us with the mirror of God's word and some, some spotlight questions, right? Paul's giving us some spotlight questions that are painful questions. And so um, I, I'm, I'm grateful that, that this church is not marked by pride. This is not a corrective message to the church, but, but these spotlight questions are meant to help us to keep from becoming like that because you know what? We're all susceptible to being like the church in Corinth because our day is not very much different from the day that the Corinthians lived in. He wanted them to see clearly, so he shines these spotlight questions. And, and so he says, I don't want you to be puffed up in favor of one against the other. And so he, he, he asks the first question. Look down your Bibles in verse 7. He says, he says, for who sees anything different in you? 
ouch, Paul, what are you saying here? He's shining this light in a way to show them how they're viewing themselves wrongly so they can cultivate humility that comes from a right view of themselves and their gifts. What, what is he doing? He wants them to have a perspective of gratitude. And that's what he's, he's asking. He wants them to have a perspective of gratitude. So he asks them some questions that reveal whether or not they are grateful for the gospel, grateful for the gift of God. And so he says, who sees anything different you? What makes you different? Church, what makes you different? Think about it for a moment. What makes you different? Is it your job? Is it your talents? Is it your gifts? Is it the money you have? Is it the influence you have? Is it what people think about you? What makes you different? Who sees anything different in you? What, what makes you different? The answer he wants us to, to go back to is the, the things I've written. What makes you different? You belong to God. You belong to Jesus. What makes you different? He's made you alive by his grace. What's made you different is that you're forgiven because of his grace. What makes you different is the Holy Spirit and the gifts that you have are all of his grace. And so you have to ask yourself, how am I defining myself? How am I, what, how, what do I think of myself? What, what do I think makes me different, distinguishes me? What am I most proud of? You know, who in the world do you think you are anyway is basically what he's saying. What makes you different? Who in the world do you think you are? I, I remember um, a sibling, I won't say who, of mine, when, when I was being bossy at times, I was the youngest, and apparently youngest kids can sometimes boss around their older siblings. I, I, I don't believe that, but I've been told that. And, um, and so I remember one of them saying, who died and made you king? You know, and uh, maybe that was an 80s phrase, I don't know, but essentially it's what Paul's saying. You know, as if, if one of you is more important and better than the other, we're all servants, we're all stewards, we're... We're all reliant on his grace. How are you different? How do you, are you not deserving of God's grace? Like all of us need God's grace? Are you somehow different? What makes you different? What makes you superior like you think you are? I mean, in many ways, none of us are exactly alike. I'm not saying that we're all exactly alike, but we're all equal in this sense. We're all equally in need of God's grace. We're all equally dead in sin. We're all equally corrupted by the effects and influence of sin. Now, it doesn't look the same out of his life, you know? But don't think that because you've lived a morally good life that somehow you are better than the person who has lived an immoral life externally because the reality is, is that our hearts are deceitful and corrupted no matter who you are, no matter what your, 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 how you grew up and if you lived in the church and you knew all the right things to say and do and act and yet you were dead. He says, what makes you different? You know, different than the person you see in the area of town that's the worst you can think of? That makes you different. We all need God's grace. We're all equally in need of God's grace. And then the second question he asked them, he says, look, look down your Bibles. This is a very poignant question. He says in verse 7, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you didn't receive? Or maybe another way, what do you think you have that you didn't receive? What, what do you have that you didn't receive? What's, what's he trying to get at there? What he's saying is that, do you think that something about your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your wisdom, your wealth, your power, your influence, do you think that somehow that's because of you? But you know what, we can. We can, we can do that, can't we? Don't we do that? Don't we at times think that, that you know what, it's my hard work that's gotten me here, that, that hard work got me that promotion or built this business. 
But let me ask you, who, who gave you the ability to work hard to begin with? Or you know what, it's my intellect, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just smarter than the average person, and so, well, who gave you that intellect? Or you know what, it's, it's your ability on the sports field, or it's your uh, ability in, with music, or what, what distinguishes you from somebody else? What, what do you have that you didn't receive? Every ability, every talent, every gift, everything about you, um, including the country you're born in, the, the city you're born in, the people you're born to, everything about you has been a gift from God. Any spiritual gift or privilege, everything we have is a gift by God's grace. That's what he's saying. He's saying, so why are you acting like it's not? You ever, you ever look at somebody else and think that you're better than them? Any, anybody else ever do that? I don't mean externally or, you know, you know better to do that. But anybody do that in your heads? You look down on other people. You think, how could they think that? How could they believe that way? How could they do those things? You know what, the only reason we understand God's word and how to apply it to our lives is because it's a gift of grace. So what does a person need who's struggling? They need grace, just like we needed grace. It's all a gift of grace. Everything we have, we're recipients. We don't, we don't have mental, physical, or spiritual capacity on our own. They're given to us by God. We have no room to boast as if we've earned anything, is what Paul's saying. I like the way Gordon Fee puts it. He says, grace leads to gratitude. Do you understand that you need grace? You're recipients of God's grace. It leads to gratitude. Wisdom and self-sufficiency lead to boasting and judging. Grace has a leveling effect. Grace has a leveling effect. Self-esteem has a self-exalting effect. Grace means humility. Boasting means that one has arrived. You ever catch yourself boasting internally? Looking down on somebody else? Do you think you've arrived? That's how Paul addresses them. Look down in verse 8. He says, already you've got all you want. You're full. You're, you're completely filled up. You're satisfied. That's how they're acting. They're acting like they don't need the Apostle Paul anymore. They're acting like they don't need what he has to offer because he's inferior, because he's empty. He's weak. He turns to some sarcasm here. This is serious sarcasm. I think he has an apostolic concession for sarcasm. By the way, this is not, we're not warranted to go out and be sarcastic with the people. I don't think that's what the Scripture is driving at. But he's, he's correcting the church because like, they're acting like they don't need anything. He says, already you've got all you want. They don't really. Already you become rich. Remember earlier he said not many of you are rich, but they're acting like it. Without, without us, you become kings. When I was growing up, I used to hear this, that we're king's kids, so let's act like kings. You ever hear that? You ever hear that? In, in one sense, it's true, right? We, we are children of the king. But you know, we're not yet ruling and reigning with him. He says, without us, you become kings. You're acting like you're kings. You're naming it and claiming it. You're rich. You get all you want. You're kings. But he says, I really wish that was the truth. I would that you were reigning. Look, at, look, look how hard he's being on them. I would that you did reign so that we might rule with you. What he's saying is, we're not ruling. So I wish that you were because maybe by our association with you that, that maybe we could rule. What he's saying is that God's kingdom has not yet fully come. They're, they're assuming that, that already all things are, are completely, the kingdom has fully come. And he says, no, that's not the way it is. We are in the midst of a world that's opposed and although we will reign in glory, it's not yet. They were full. 
unlike Jesus. When Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. They're acting like they've already arrived. They're not thirsting. They're not hungering for righteousness. They're acting like they don't need anything, like they're already rich. You know, you know Jesus' words to the church in the book of Revelation, he says, in Revelation 3, 17, he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. They, they're claiming that they can be complete, filled, rich, powerful, rule as kings. They're, they're, they're over-realizing who they are in the kingdom, and it's not yet fully come. Yes, already he has begun to reign. God has begun to reign, and he's established his reign, and every authority and power is under his feet. But you know what? We are experienced in the daily Christian life. Um, don't make the assumption the Corinthians were making is that um, if somebody is suffering or struggling or sick or not wealthy, they're poor, um, they're, they're not overcoming everything in their life, they're having struggles, don't make the mistake that the Corinthians did and assuming that means that they're spiritually immature or weak or something's wrong or God's disfavor is on them, that's what the Corinthians were doing with Paul. It could be the very means by which God is perfecting us into his image. If he did that with Jesus, if Jesus was on the path of suffering, if all of his apostles went the road of suffering, then why would we think that we won't? Paul is showing them that the, crucif the Christian life, it's a cruciform or a cross-formed life. That's what he's showing them. This doesn't mean that we live defeated. That doesn't mean that. Paul's not saying that, but he says, living the Christian life, you should expect it's a cruciform life. If you're living in conformity to him, if you're submitting your life to Christ, it's going to look weird to the world and the world's not gonna treat you well and it's not, you're not gonna have success in the world's eyes and you're not gonna be seen as wise in the world's eyes. You're not gonna have prestige and power and influence and wealth necessarily. Um, now, if you do, that doesn't mean you're sinning. And he's not saying that either, but he's saying, Look, the Christian life, it's a cruciform life. I've applied these things to myself. And, and look down your Bibles in verses 9 to 13. He explains what that looks like in his own life. He holds, out, he holds up this apostolic example of what the gospel applied in his own life looks like. And what is he telling us? He says the gospel is applying the gospel in this way. It's the second point we need to see. It, it enables us to live Christ-like lives. Applying the gospel enables us to live Christ-like lives. You ever wondered how the apostle Paul or the, all the other apostles could do what they did? How they were so much like Jesus, Paul tells us. Look in verse 9. He says, I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men, sentenced to death because we become a spectacle of the world, the angels and men. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. If you can put that one up there, the New Living Translation, it's the next, I think it's the next slide. It puts it in a really helpful way. It says, But sometimes I think God has put us apostles on display. Like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We become a spectacle to the entire world, the people and angels alike. What he's saying is there was this, this Roman tradition where a Roman general would conquer and they would go in and they would proceed and, and they would bring all of the pomp and circumstance and show their army. And at the end of the army, they would drag along the prisoners that the, the, the royals that they had conquered would be at the end of that procession. And then they would take the leaders of the foreign army that they conquered, and that they would throw them in the arena. They would bring them, like last of all, like men sentenced to death. 
as a spectacle, as theater. And Paul says, that, I think God's exhibiting us that way. What's he doing? He's showing the Corinthians that, that the Christian life, is, it's a cruciform life. It, applying the gospel, it enables us to live Christ-like lives, but it, it means that we're like men sentenced to death last of all. It doesn't mean that we're glorious. It, yes, there's glory, and in him we're glorified. We're already raised up with him and seated with him at the heavenly places, but the reality of this life, you're going to be a spectacle in this world if you apply the gospel to your life daily. And Paul says, we're like those slaves. If the master was like that, if his apostles are like that, so also will we be like that. And then look what he says in verse 10. He says, we're fools for Christ's sake. They were, they were pride, uh, priding themselves on the fact that they were so wise. They had it all together. They had it figured out. <laughs> he says, we're fools. And he uses some more sarcasm. But you're wise. He doesn't actually mean that. He's not saying that they really are wise, but he says, we're fools, you're wise. He's driving home this point here. You're acting like we're fools and you're wise. You're acting like you're strong and we're weak. If you're strong and we're weak, what he's saying is then who's really applying the gospel here? You're held in honor, but we're in disrepute. And he's holding up his mirror and showing them that, no, you're, you're evaluating things backwards. You think that, that having good repute in the world's eyes, you think that being strong in the world's eyes, you think that being wise in the world's eyes, that that is actually the way you should be dressed in Christ. And he says, no, let me, let me help you out here. You're not really applying this to your life. And look in verse 11, he says, the present hour we hunger and thirst. You are, you're full, you don't need anything, you're satisfied, he told him earlier, but, but we're hungry and we're poor. That doesn't mean that every Christian is expected to be poor. But riches are not a measure of a Christian's maturity. Did you hear that? Strength is not a measure of a Christian's maturity or God's pleasure. Whether you are regarded as lowly or not is not a measure. Whether you're held in honor by the world is not a measure of your maturity. He says, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly dressed. We're buffeted, we're beaten up. That's what that word means. Like we're, we're punched with fists. We're homeless. And then on top of everything, we, we labor working with our hands. Now to the Greeks, that was a big insult because they thought that, that manual labor was beneath them. And so uh, about half of their population was consisted of slaves in Corinth. And, and a good portion of the church had slaves in the church because they thought that manual labor was somehow beneath them. And, and Paul says, we labor working with our hands. You might think that's menial. So to whether you have a, a blue-collar job or a white-collar job is not a sign of pleasure or displeasure from God. Did you hear that? And then he explains what this cruciform life looks like. He says, when reviled, here's what it's going to look like. And by saying that, he's, he's, he's telling them, you're not doing this. He says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Entreating people was seen as a sign of weakness in that culture. And they, to, to debase themselves and entreat and try to seek peace was seen as weak. And Paul says, this is what the Christian life is like. It's like submitting to Christ in every area of our life. It's applying the gospel in every area because Jesus was reviled and blessed us. Because when he was persecuted, he endured. Because when he was slandered, he entreated the Father on our behalf. When 
he was debased for us. Look down at verse 11, or 13, sorry. He says, we become, this is pretty strong language, and we still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. We're, we're like the gross stuff that's on the bottom of your shoe that you scrape off. That's what we're like. We're like that scum. That's a, that's a very graphic word. We're the, we're the off scrapings. We're the, we're the stuff if you... If you become filthy and you scrape off your skin, you scrape off the bottom of your shoes, we're like that, we're like scum. We're the refuse, we're the, the dirty, smelly trash of all things, for Christ's sake. Now, that's, that's not a best life now kind of message, is it? <laughs> you see, for Paul, discipleship, it meant sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Applying the gospel meant that, that we too would follow him and suffering. That doesn't mean that we have this, this defeated attitude that, oh, we're going to suffer. No, but, but we can expect that and we don't evaluate others negatively based on what they're suffering or their struggles or their challenges. And we can say, look, God, I want to live in every way submitted to you, knowing that whatever it means, being in the world as Christ is in the world is how I want to live. Because Jesus was like that, then we should expect that we too will be like that. Because that's the path by which we are glorified in him. That he makes us more like him. This isn't an easy message he's got for the church in Corinthians, is it? And it's not always an easy message for us, right? I'm going to share with you a quote from Gordon Fee. It's, I think it's the number two quote. It says, two observations might be made. One, we need to become more aware of the Corinthians side of this text than we tend to. That is, we desperately try desperately to identify with Paul. When in fact, we are probably much more like the Corinthians than any of us dare admit. We're rich, well-filled, etc., and all too often that blinds us to our desperate needs. This is God's grace that he, we won't be blind, so we see who we are. As Barrett notes, between Paul's and the Corinthians' view of ministry, there can be little doubt which conception corresponds more closely to the Lord's command. Number two, perhaps if we were more truly like our Lord, standing more often in opposition to the status quo with his worldly wisdom, and more often in favor of justice, we too would know more about what it means to be scum in the world's beautiful Eyes of the world's beautiful or powerful people. In any case, we greatly need to recapture Paul's eschatological, that's in times perspective, that, that based on Christ's return and who he's going to make us be, so that neither wealth nor want tyrannizes us. Amen? Are you benefiting from Paul's example of applying the gospel to himself? Are you seeing yourself as an under rower serving the direction of Jesus, listening for his commands? Are you seeing that you're a steward of the mysteries of the grace of God, that you've been made alive by his grace, that everything you received is a gift from God? Is that how you are living? I'm grateful that um, you are a welcoming, friendly, kind church. Now, where that comes from is I believe that you really are rightly applying the gospel that you're seeing that you're not better than anybody else, and so you, you're freely welcoming people, and I think that's the fruits of the gospel applied. And so you're to be commended. Thank you for being a gospel-centered, gospel-focused church that you see who you are in Christ, and that defines how you interact with other people. But let's stay that way, right? Let's not devolve into cliques. How do we, how do we avoid the errors of the Corinthian church? We, by continuing. If you're new to the church, 
You're wondering, why, how are these people so, like, they're, they're genuine, they're friendly, they're, they're messed up, they don't have it all together, but there's something here. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ we're seeking to apply this daily. So, so let's together, let's join hands and say, let's, let's continue to do this. Let's apply the gospel and who we are in Christ to our lives every day. And he says, look back in the very beginning, he says that you might learn to not go beyond what's written. What's written? What has he written to us? In the very beginning in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he says, he says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, that's who we are. We have been made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Together with all those who in every name call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Back in verse 4, chapter 1, he says that, that we've received the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. Let that, that define us as a church, amen? To not go beyond that means we're keeping the grace of God before us, ever before us, realizing that's always a gift from God. We don't earn it. We didn't do anything to achieve it. But we have God's grace in Jesus Christ. Not going beyond it doesn't means, means that we don't ever get to the place where we think we merit God's grace on our own. In, in verses 5 and 7 of chapter 1, he reminded us, he says, he said, you've been enriched with all speech and knowledge in him. And, and by God's grace, we have so many different gifts in the church. I'm so grateful. There's so many different gifts and a variety of gifts in the church. And there's all kinds of speech and knowledge and understanding. And, 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 and often we have people come to the front and share a timely word from the Lord for us. And it's encouraging. But let's remember, all of that is because we are in him and he's the one who enriches us. There's no one superior in this room to anybody else. Paul's going to get that later when he talks about there's so many members of the body and we'll, we're all needed. Going beyond what's written would be acting like the gifts he's given us are some measure of our achievement or ability. Paul says, don't go beyond that. Don't act like something else. Don't, like, don't act like you don't need the power of the gospel in your life every day. That's the power of God. Right? We've heard that earlier. This is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Not who did believe, but whoever is currently believing. The power of God in your life is this good news. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Don't go beyond that. He says, I don't, I don't want to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's how he's applied this to his life. And that's what he's showing them. We belong to God. We don't belong to anyone else. We're... We're who we are because of who he's made us to be. Don't go beyond what's written. We saw last week would be to act like we need the approval or commendation of other people to live for that as if we don't belong to God. So how about you? How have you applied this to your life? How are you doing? As you're, as you're seeing the mirror that Paul held up for the Corinthians, do you see yourself in there too? Where do you see yourself? Here's the remedy. Apply the good news of the gospel to your life because you know what? It's the power of God to transform us, to save us, to, to redeem us, to make us brand new. And by his grace, we belong to him. We are a new creation in him. It's for your benefit. It enables us to live humbly. It enables us to live Christ-like lives, conform to his image. And isn't that what we want? Amen. Let's pray. Let's have the band go ahead and come up and we'll sing. Father, these, these words from you are heavy. But Lord, I pray there be no heaviness in this room. Because, God, you condemned our sin already. That we have no reason to shame, to have shame or guilt 
or bear condemnation because you've taken all of our condemnation, you've taken all our guilt, you've borne all our shame, and in you we are righteous. So now we come boldly before the throne of grace, acknowledging who we are apart from you, but then acknowledging who we are in you. And Lord, let us live humble lives. And would you transform us and make us more like you? May we, we may not be afraid to look in the mirror because Jesus, you and your gospel, you're the power to save us, to, to redeem us, to make us new. And so God, far from being condemned or hopeless or heavy, Lord, I pray that you would give us hope. And Lord, you reveal these things. You've, you've flipped the mirror around. You've turned the lights on so that you can get rid of all this stuff in us because Lord, that's what you died to do to make us more like you. And thank you, Jesus, you're conforming us into your image day by day. Lord, we give you thanks.